Good morning. Welcome once again to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Ron Hudson, the lead pastor, and we are in week three of our series, Under Pressure. Under Pressure. How many of you have been dealing with conflict throughout this series? Anybody have conflict in the last three weeks? Yeah, me too. Um, If you're going to preach a series on conflict, you're going to have to deal with conflict. I had a really tough conflict I had to deal with this week, and it's no wonder. Um... And all of the things that I, I've been preaching and teaching, I had to practice. And guess what? They work. They really work. It, it turns out that what Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter 4 is really good stuff that didn't just work back then. It wasn't just some good advice from some guy, but it's the words of God, and it's useful for now and for today. So, we're in week three of our series, and we've been talking about pressure and tension, and I started out the series by blowing up a balloon. You guys remember that? You knew I was full of hot air. You just know it was this much, this fast, right? That's impressive, isn't it? Right? Okay, I don't know about I don't know if your disease, the room spinning, or is that just me? <laughs> so, tension, tension, pressure. When you have conflict in your life, when you face a situation like Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter four with Eudius and Tiki, whatever her name is, they had tension, and he said that the church needed to help them resolve their tension to live and walk in unity so that we could honor Christ. And as Christians, you are going to face all kinds of pressure in your life. You're going to face conflict, whether at your job, at home, at school, wherever you're at, you're going to face conflict. And in that conflict, you are to honor Christ. You are to be Christ-like. Christians should be Christ-like. And we started out by saying rejoice. It's like a balloon, right? You celebrate when there's a balloon. Rejoice. This week when I, I faced conflict in my life, uh, it just kind of consumed me. It stole an entire day of my life. I go home. I'm just in this like kind of feeling like, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to have this conversation? This is going to be so difficult. And then I remembered, I'm supposed to rejoice. I'm like, well, I can't rejoice in this. I feel terrible. I have to have this really hard conversation with somebody. How can I rejoice? How can I celebrate? And I said, well, it doesn't matter what I think. I should do what the Bible says because that's a great attitude to have as a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And so I pulled up YouTube, looked up some dry bar comedy, which is like clean comedy humor. I don't know if you ever watch it. And I started watching these comedians. And they're clean comedians, you know. Uh, And I just started laughing and laughing. And, you know, I'm looking at memes and stuff, and I started laughing. It changed my attitude. And then that changed my outlook on the conflict that I was supposed to face. The next thing that we saw last week, we saw this, let your Moderation be known unto all men because the Lord is at hand. Remember that? And moderation means reasonableness or gentleness. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known unto all men. And we talked about how it's not just how I feel reasonable on the inside, but how I'm perceived as reasonable on the outside because Christ is at hand. And I use this metaphor of putting it on the company card when I feel like I can't extend to my wife or my kids or my coworker or someone else grace or kindness because they just don't have it in me and because they don't deserve it, in those moments, I could put it on the company card. And I did that this week. 
There were moments when I wanted to yell at my kids, and they didn't really need to be yelled at, necessarily. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I could go into this moment, and I could yell at my kids. I could, I could handle this in an old way, or I could extend grace. I could handle this in a kinder, more gentle way that honors Christ. And I'm like, they don't deserve that. I want to rip their necks off right now, so I'm going to put it on the company card because I just don't have this in me right now. And I did, and I stopped, I paused, and I prayed. and said, Jesus, I need you to extend your grace in me and through me so that I can be the man that you have called me to be and empowered me to be so that I can walk in the fruit of the Spirit, not in the fruit of Ron. Okay? And it works. It works. It really works. So when you're facing tension in your life, last week we learned that we're not perceived as reasonable people, even though we feel like we're being very reasonable. We're not perceived that way unless we're embodying and living the fruit of the Spirit in our life. This week, um, and, and, and last week actually, before we go on, we had a test. How do I know if I'm actually being reasonable? How do I know if I'm being reasonable? How do I know if I'm doing what Paul is teaching? Is the result of my behavior a better or worse environment? And me doing the right thing, is there more joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering, all those fruit of the Spirit that's actually supposed to come out of be the result of your life? Is that actually created and generated by your actions, by your behavior, by your following and walking in the Holy Spirit? Because that's what happens when we walk in the Holy Spirit. So if that's not what's happening, you're walking in some other spirit, not the Holy Spirit. So, this week, this week, we continue on. Do you ever feel anxious? Who here ever feels anxious? Ah, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of anxiety, right? This week, the verse talks exactly about anxiety. We're talking about anxiety. Do you ever feel anxious when you have to deal with conflict? Yeah, I felt totally anxious this week. Lots of anxiety, dealing with conflict. So, what does the Bible say? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, be careful for nothing. Now, that's worded a little strange for English nowadays, so I looked in the ESV, because I don't want you to get out of this. I don't want you to misunderstand it and be like, well, that's not talking about me. Um, we should be careful sometimes, but what he's talking about specifically is anxiety. In the ESV, it says, don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now remember, Paul is talking to the church and telling them how to deal with conflict in the body of Christ, how to help these two women who can't get along, they can't see eye to eye, what kind of attitudes and life they should live. And he says, he gives this advice, do not be anxious about anything. Well, that's nice for you to say, Paul, but how, how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Do not be anxious about anything. What is anxiety? It's intense, excessive, and persistent worry and fear about everyday situations. The fast heart rate, the rapid breathing, the sweating, the feeling tired can all occur. And the common causes of this symptom are anxiety can be normal and stressful situations such as public speaking. <laughs> right? Public speaking or taking a test. Any of you feel anxious when you go to take a test? That pop quiz at school or the surprise thing, even if you've like, studied for it? Anxiety is only an indicator of an underlying disease, though. When feelings become excessive, all-consuming, and interfere with daily living, you know you're experiencing anxiety. Um, 
Self-treatment, physical activity, healthy diet, regular sleep, and relaxation exercises may all help reduce anxiety. Joining a support group can help. That's why we have small groups part of it. To manage the symptoms effectively, it's best to avoid caffeine. <laughs> mm. Alcohol and nicotine. It's best to avoid those stimulants. So is Paul saying that any anxiety that you experience in your life is sin? Some of you guys are like, no, no, no. Why? Why wouldn't that be? Now, I know you can't like, necessarily come up here and have a, have a hat out with me, but we all experience anxiety. So if being anxious anytime or feeling anxious anytime is sin, we're all in a whole lot of trouble, aren't we? We're all in a whole lot of trouble. What is Paul saying? Is he saying that any anxiety is sin, that you are dishonoring God if you ever feel anxious? No, I don't think so. There's a subtle difference between feeling anxious and being anxious. Notice, he says, in the first one, it starts with the word be. Be careful for nothing. You know, that word careful is talking about anxiety. It's the worrying. It's the, the all-consuming of being scared and worried about something. In the ESV, it says, do not be anxious. It doesn't say, do not feel anxiety. It says, do not be anxious. And being anxious is different from feeling anxious. Everybody feels anxious sometimes. Especially in the case of dealing with conflict, right? You have a difficult conversation. You ever get the text? We need to talk. You're like, oh man, what do I do now? We need to talk. You know, or someone's like, hey, when you get home from work today, we need to have a conversation. Man, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's bubbling up. Sometimes it's, something is really bothering you. You don't want to say anything. Why? Because you're worried. You're anxious. And that's the issue. It's okay to feel anxiety. It's okay to feel the fear. It's not okay to let anxiety become the thing that controls your life and stops you, especially from obedience to Christ. And in our culture, we've allowed anxiety to stop us from doing a lot of things. A lot of people think that when they feel the feeling of anxiety, that that is a sign we need to stop we need to quit. This is a sign something is wrong. Something is bad. I feel anxious. So we just need to stop. And in fact, some Christians can spiritualize it. Say, I'm feeling anxiety. That's the Holy Spirit telling me, no, we need to not do that. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Everybody feels anxious. This feeling is a sign that something is dangerous or wrong, we think. But it's not. This feeling is a sign, and here's the truth, the feeling of anxiety is a sign that you are not in control and that you are facing uncertainty. When you feel anxious, you are, it's a sign that you are not in control and you're facing uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen. You know what the outcome is going to be. So I'm worried. I can't control this situation. So dealing with conflict when everything is all kind of built up, I don't know how this conversation is going to go. They might blow up on me if I, if I poke. This could go really bad. If I have this conversation with somebody who is, who is doing the wrong thing and I, I feel God's telling me I need to talk to them, 
Or I have a conversation because I've done something wrong or something needs to change in my life or my relationship and you feel God and the Holy Spirit telling you and you're like, I don't want to do it because I don't know what's going to happen. I might offend them. They may never speak to me again. This could go bad. This could blow up in my face. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I have no control here. I can't control how they're going to respond and I can't predict what will happen. And here's the reality though. If you have to be in control to be okay, then you can never have meaningful relationships. If you have to be in control to be okay, you can never follow Christ and you can never have meaningful relationships because God will lead you to do things where you are not in control. In any relationship you're in, if you want it to be a real relationship, then you're going to have to relinquish control. You're going to have to. And this is why my goal is to transfer as much control to my kids as they can responsibly carry. Maybe it doesn't feel like that sometimes. My goal is to transfer as much responsibility to my kids as they can possibly carry. And we do this. And so I give them a responsibility and see how they do. And when they mess it up, I take it back. And then when they ask, I, wanna, I want this privilege or this responsibility, then we have a conversation, we negotiate. And I give them the responsibility, see how they do. And it's just like, and some parents expect, you know, when kids are in their adolescence or teen years that you're just going to teach these lessons once. But we forget that when they were this big, we had to reinforce 300 times a day. Right? It's no different. Now that they're bigger, this responsibility dance of, I give you responsibility, you see how you do, you don't do it well, then we try again, we try again, we try again. I give them privileges and tell them up front what responsibilities come with the privileges. My kids um, have been negotiating hard about bedtime. They want later bedtime. And so I say, uh, you can stay up and play Xbox at bedtime, but you have to get yourself up in the morning. It's not too hard. Just wake yourself up and put your clothes on. That's not hard. Everybody's got to do that. You want a job someday, you got to get dressed. So, morning comes. All right, time to go to school. I can't do it. <laughs> All right, well, then I guess you're not ready for later bedtime. It's that kind of thing. It's just tied together. I want them to have more control. The only way to learn responsibility is to carry responsibility. So, young people, young people, get this. Demonstrating responsibility is the quickest way to have more control in your life. With family, with parents, with teachers, demonstrating responsibility enables and empowers the adults in your life to give you more privileges. Because now, they can trust you. Paul says, don't be anxious. Anxiety is not a sign that something is wrong. Anxiety is a sign you're not in control and can't guarantee the outcome. What other situations in life are you not in control and can't guarantee the outcome? Other situations in life where you are not in control and you cannot guarantee the outcome. Love and creativity. I think this is so true. In love, you are not in control and you cannot guarantee the outcome. You are extending love. You are loving somebody. You cannot control how they will respond. You cannot guarantee the outcome. It could go great. It could go bad. But you're taking a risk. They could die and leave you and hurt. They could, something could happen 
And yet, I'm extending my vulnerability out here, and I don't know what could happen. I'm not in control. Creativity is another one. In creative endeavors, when you create, you are not in control. You cannot guarantee the outcome. You start to build with the spark of an idea, but you don't let that idea alone stop you from discovering other possibilities along the way. When Michelangelo did the sculpture, David, um, he said this, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculpture to, or the sculptor to develop it. It's not that he's removing the, the marble, you know, and making something happen. It's he's carving, he's discovering the process, and he's moving it, taking turns along the way. This is the creative process. He said, I saw an angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. Isn't that crazy? I saw an angel in the marble and carved until I set him free. That's creativity. You don't know what's going to happen. You just try. When you write a song, when you write a book, when you write poetry, when you try to uh, do art, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And in dealing with conflict, your life must maintain an attitude of creative discovery or you're going to mess it up every time. You'll leave fantastic ideas undiscovered. You'll leave opportunity after opportunity and it'll just pass you by. I talk to a lot of people and they'll, they'll say, you know, if I just had opportunities, if I just had the opportunities that you had, then I would be okay. I would be able to do the things that you've done in your life. But you had this opportunity, you had that opportunity, you had that opportunity. But what they don't realize is that opportunity is most often signaled by anxiety. Think about it. Opportunity is signaled by anxiety. When I'm in a situation and I'm feeling anxious, many times in my life, I've realized this is an opportunity. It happened when, um, when my dad came to me and said, hey, I need you to, to teach a class for the youth group. And I was like, 17. I had a lot of anxiety. When, when a youth group leader asked me to pray in front of the group of students or to share my faith, I had a lot of anxiety. I don't know I don't, what's going to happen. But those created great opportunities for me. When I was asked to give a lesson and it was terrible and it went bad, you know, it was a, I had a lot of anxiety. But those are opportunities for God to grow me. And every single time when the Holy Spirit has tried to teach me or grow me in an area, there's been anxiety. Every single time. In business and in life. When I fix computers or something, I'm, go, I'm walking into a problem situation. I don't know for sure if I have the answer. There's anxiety. But it's an opportunity. So I step in. I trust God. I learn. I fix it. I figure it out. And then I get more opportunities as a result of not letting the anxiety keep me. So rejoice. Rejoice. Opportunity is often signaled by anxiety. And anxiety makes everything taste bad. Imagine a drug that makes everything taste and sound bad. You take this pill, and it makes everything taste disgusting, and every word you hear, everything someone else says, every song you hear, every note you hear, just makes you just hate life. And then you are asked to be a judge at a singing baker's competition. You follow me? These are singing bakers. They're making cupcakes, you're judging the cupcake, and you're judging their singing, right? And there you are, and so you take this pill before you go, 
And every cupcake you take, you just want to throw up everywhere because it tastes disgusting. Every song you hear, they start singing, and you just want to light your ears on fire and then beat out the flames with the hammer. That's ridiculous. You'll never forget that imagery. That's anxiety. Anxiety is a medication you take that makes everything sound bad and look bad and taste bad. When we, when we take anxiety upon us, as Paul is saying, don't be anxious, then it's bad news. Bad news. Would you take this drug before entering an important conversation or an interaction with a friend, a family member, or a coworker? Everything they say sounds bad. Everything they do is seen through the lens that they're out to get you. You ever felt that? You go into a conversation, you're in this, you're in this conflict, and everything they say, you're like, I wonder why they said that. Well, why did you say it that way? Or why did he say that? And then afterwards, you're like reanalyzing it. Well, why did they say this? Or did you notice he said it like that? He said the doctor. You know? And people are like, you're just being paranoid. And you're like, just because I'm paranoid don't mean they ain't watching. You know? <laughs> it's anxiety. It colors all of our interactions. The Holy Spirit can't speak to you because it's all just this huge, loud speaker of fear and anxiety and worry. Everything they say sounds bad. You're on the edge. You can't hear their valid concerns. And what's worse is anxiety is contagious. Paul isn't just saying this for you individually. Paul is saying this because anxiety is contagious. And so if anxiety gets into the body of Christ, then we all get anxiety. Next thing you know, we're not sharing our faith. We're not taking steps to follow Christ, which are always risky, which always feel dangerous. We're just shutting it down. Anxiety is contagious. And maybe you've been infected or are infecting everybody else in a negotiation or in a conflict. And the real objection is hidden behind the stated objection. So when you enter conflict and someone says, and you're like, well, what's going on? You're trying to get to the why. And they say, well, I can't do that because of this. The real reason is emotional. In the way of the wolf, Jordan Belfort says, objections are merely smoke screens for uncertainty. The initial objections are usually just fearing and anxiety. You ask someone to do something, you have a conversation, you have a conversation with your wife or your kids, and they say, well, because of this, because of that. That's usually a smoke screen. The real objection is emotional. The real objection is emotional. And unless you can skillfully peel back and use tactical empathy, then just the surface level stuff will shut you out of opportunities every single time. How many times have you been in a conflict with someone or a conversation and you thought to yourself, I wish, I wish you would just tell me what's going on. Why can't you just tell me what you want? Why can't you just say it? And you're like, well, if you... S-, and they're like, well, if I have to say it, you know, then I'm not telling you. And like, <laughs> like, what is that? What is that? What's going on there? You know? If I told you, then it, it would like ruin it. What is that? What is that thing where it's like, okay, I have this thing I need to tell you, but I can't just tell you because if I just told you, then now it would, it would disqualify you from meeting the need that I actually have. How does that work? 
How does that work? We need to change how we view pushback and arguments and objection. Chris Voss, um, the FBI hostage negotiator, um, I like to read his book, it's pretty amazing. Um, he says this, objections are counteroffers in disguise. Objections are counteroffers in disguise. So here's some skills on how we can actually deal with anxiety so that we can honor Christ. Objections are counteroffers in disguise. When you're in a negotiation or a conflict, objections are counteroffers in disguise. When someone pushes back or argues, what they're doing is they're making a counteroffer. You just don't know it. You just don't see it. You don't realize it. You think they're just trying to stop you. They're just trying to prevent you from doing what you need to do or from hearing what you need to say. But what they're actually doing is making a counteroffer. The pushback is the blocker protecting the true CEO of the brain, which is the emotion. So they're giving this reason. They're giving this objection. They're sharing a problem. But that problem is really protecting the true emotional need that's behind it. Why don't they just tell you the emotional need? Well, a lot of times, they don't even know what the true emotional need is. Well, what's wrong? I don't know! <laughs> you ever ask somebody what's wrong, and you can tell there's something wrong because of their body language, the way they're acting, the way they're treating everybody, and they're like, I don't know what's wrong. And you're like, you just don't want to tell me. No, they don't know what's wrong. They honestly do not know what's going on inside of them. I don't know, I'm just frustrated, I'm just angry. Maybe... They don't know what's going on. Maybe they don't trust you and can't tell you what's going on. Or maybe by telling you what they need, it may prevent you from giving it to them. How is that possible? How is that possible? Say, for instance, um, your wife says, I just don't feel like you care about me. Well, what would give you that idea? Why do, why do, you, why do you feel like I don't care about you? And she says, well, you used to give me flowers, but you don't give me flowers anymore. And you respond, well, if that's what you want, I'll go get you some flowers right now. So you pick up your keys, you go to the store, you get some flowers, you come back, set them on the table and say, there, you better? Why, why are the ladies shaking their head no? I fixed the problem, you got some flowers now, you happy? It's like you guys have seen this played out before. <laughs> Can I go watch the game? Do you feel loved? Well, no. Now that I told you, it doesn't count. That's insanity, right? <laughs> We're all thinking, what do you mean it doesn't count? It costs money still, didn't it? It's exactly what you wanted. I gave you what you wanted. Why are we still here like having this talk? Well, because by telling you this thing, it disqualified you from actually providing the true emotional need because it's not about the flowers. It's about the thought behind the flowers. Because I told you about it, now you can't have the thought. You can't be thoughtful and think of me because I made you, like I brought it up and made a big stink about it. You see? They can't actually tell you what's going on. And guys are like, well, I would never be that way. I would never be that way. That's insane. Well, okay, you're at work. And you've had to work overtime for weeks on end. And you go, the boss comes to you, hey guys, I need you to work overtime again this weekend. You're like, man, I'm so tired. I just don't feel appreciated around here. And the boss is like, 
Oh, well, what do you want, a cookie? I'll buy you a cookie. He gets you a tray. He goes back to his desk, writes a thank you note, thank you for your overtime, hands it to you. Here, you feel better now? Well, I mean, I gave you appreciation. I gave you a card. Bought you a cookie. Well, you want pizza for the office? I'll buy pizza for the office. You guys feel appreciated? Well, well no, because like, now it doesn't count because it's the same thing. We're all wired the same way. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. By telling you, I've made it more difficult for you to actually give me what I need. So I need to communicate to you what my emotional need is without coming out right saying it so that you actually have the opportunity to meet that emotional need. By telling you, it makes it more difficult. So what skills can we use to get to the real issue behind someone's issue without ruining it? Without doing the, I bought you flowers, or I got you pizza. (laughs) How do we not be that guy (laughs) and still get to the issue? So I'm going to give you a few skills. Skills. These are skills that work in real-world issues. The first skill is called mirroring. When you don't know what someone is saying, when you don't understand, when they're like, they explain it to you, but the words they said go in one ear and out the other, and you're like, I still don't know what in the world they're talking about. You use mirroring. Mirroring, you repeat the last three words or significant phrase, and then you wait. Now, this sounds insane. You're like, what do you mean? This is like kids stuff, you know? I, t- I-, I thought this is insane. Every time I've tried this, it feels super, super weird. I think it's weird, but you know what? It works on me. It works on me so good. In fact, I was talking to another pastor friend about this, and I sent him this little paragraph talking about mirroring, and he mirrored back three words from what I said and just, just as a joke. And wouldn't you know it, I wrote three paragraphs back explaining it. And then a little bit later, I realized, oh my gosh, it worked. I had no clue. Because what mirroring does is it says, when I repeat back the words that you said, like, uh, like you say, oh, we're really tired. We've been working so much over here, overtime, we're really tired. And I say, we're really tired. What that communicates to you is, I think you're brilliant. I think you're so smart. I think you've made a really good point. Say more. <laughs> like, that's what it says. You're like, I don't know. Try it. I'm telling you. Say more. You're so intelligent. It says, I'm on the same page. I want to hear more. I just want what you're laying down. And it works. It, it's just, you say the last three words or that phrase back to them and they will elaborate. And then if you mirror again, they'll elaborate some more, and some more, and some more, until you can finally figure out what are they really getting at? What are they really getting at? It's a way to say, I don't understand without saying, you're an idiot, why didn't you communicate better? (laughs) Okay? Just mirror it, and they'll just keep flooding more information in. When When you're thinking, I have no idea what they mean, just mirror the last three or four words are an important phrase. It communicates, you're so brilliant, brilliant, tell me more. For instance, boss comes, I need you guys to work overtime. We, and the employee says, we've been working a lot of overtime, we're all very tired. This is a counteroffer. Boss says, we're all really tired. Employee responds, yeah, these guys are sacrificing family time, and the paychecks are good, but they, they just really don't feel like management cares. Ah, now I know it's not about being tired. They're physically capable of doing this. 
The real issue, the emotional issue, is that they feel taken advantage of. And even though they're getting paid, they feel like I haven't or you haven't appreciated them. That's the issue. So what do you do? Then you label. Skill number two. First one is Mary. Skill number two, labeling. Seems like, sounds like, feels like. Seems like I haven't showed you guys, or I haven't communicated to you guys how much I appreciate the hard work you're doing. You know, it feels to me like I haven't, um, or in the relationship situation, wife comes, you know, I just feel like you don't care about me anymore. I don't, and then you could, you know, mirror back. Feels like I don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And she's going to say something. You say, you know what? Feels like we're just roommates. We just pass. I, I feel like we haven't hung out in a long time. Yeah, that's it. Or it sounds like, sounds like we need some time alone. We need to go on a date or something. Yeah, that's right. Remember that that's right? That's right. You seems like, sounds like, feels like to label the counter offer. They bring up an objection. If you don't understand it, then mirror a little bit to get some more and then label it to test if you're on the same wavelength. If you're on the same wavelength, then they'll say, oh, that's right, or they'll, they'll respond positively. And then, um, seems like I haven't communicated how much I appreciate you guys, or it seems like we're just roommates. And then they'll say, that's right. So then, once you label correctly, what's the next skill? The last skill here. Mirroring, labeling, the last one is how. How is such a powerful question. How am I supposed to do that? How can we do that? How? You know what how does? How puts the other person on your project, on your problem. When I ask you, you tell me to do something, I say, well, Jim, how am I supposed to do that? That communicates to you, I think you're super smart. I want your input. I want your mentorship on this. And guess what? Now, your brain is going like crazy to figure out how to solve Ron's problem. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. How do I do that? I use this all the time. I, I use this in the recent conflict. We get through, you know, I label what's going on. And I said, well, well, how do I do that? And he responded in a way. We dealt with it. Conflict resolved. How do I do that? How do I do that? How is the secret to getting them to work on your problem? They made a counteroffer. You want to know how to satisfy their counteroffer? So how do you do that? How can I honor Christ in this conflict? And so then the boss might respond, hey, how do you think I could show the team that I, I see them and I really appreciate all the extra work they're putting in? You might say, oh, you know, remember that training we did that everybody hated? Well, the food was really good. Did we get that caterer to come back? You know, they might say that. Or spouse, with your spouse, I miss you too. I miss you too. I feel like we're roommates. I miss you too. How, how can we prioritize time together? And now they're thinking, well, you know, I would like to do this. And then they're going to give you information. Now you're on the same page together. So anxiety is bad for relationships and negotiation because it can cause me to miss opportunities. And I can deal with anxiety by mirroring, labeling, and using how questions. But what if I don't do this? What if I just ignore all this stuff? 
What if this is just for other people who, who uh, you know, they want to be manipulative or they want to be those, you know, fast talkers. This isn't for me. I'm just a straight shooter. What if I don't do this stuff? Anxiety is when what we feel when we're not control and uncertain of the outcomes. Paul says this, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Anxiety is what we feel when we're not in control and when we're uncertain of the outcomes. And as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, you have to get comfortable with uncertainty and a lack of control. Because none of us are in control. God is in control. He is the King. He is Lord of Lords. And we don't get to control things. Paul says to pray to God and tell Him. Why? Why do I need to pray? Because God is in control. And your anxiety, if you embrace it, if you allow your anxiety to just come in and you're like, well, I have this anxiety, I can't do anything about it, so I'm just not going to move forward on this. If you allow that to happen, your anxiety will just wreck your relationships and cause you to miss opportunities. It will wreck your relationships and cause you to say no to opportunities that either God is leading you into or other opportunities in life. All in the name of protecting you and preserving your control but you never were in control to begin with. So you're in this false sense of control where you just let nothing happen and you're stuck. You're stuck. God actually is in control. So if you have fear about an outcome, if you have uncertainty about what's going on in your life, then take it to God because God actually can do something about it. And He cares for you. He cares for you. And He will send, the final verse here, He will send supernatural peace. And the peace of God, which is beyond understanding, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We have a supernatural toolbox. This isn't just about negotiating. Those are great skills and they're useful to us. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have a supernatural toolbox. We can call upon God in any situation when we're facing anxiety and say, God, I need you to control this. I need you to give me peace and to help me walk even in the midst of anxiety. I'm not going to let anxiety control me and keep me from being obedient and doing what I know is good. I'm going to take the step and I need you to be with me in this. And when we pray, God will send supernatural peace that doesn't make sense to calm and to guide us. And what's at stake is that you miss opportunities to live in peace. You allow your anxiety to prevent you from seeing and taking opportunities to live and to walk in peace. What if there's small changes that could happen in your relationships that would transform them and make them healthy relationships and God-honoring relationships, but because you have anxiety about that conversation, because you have anxiety about control, because you have anxiety about the outcome, you won't have the conversation. That's what's at stake. That we then are not the people that God wants us to be. We're not living out the fruit of the Spirit. We're just being controlled. 
by fear and anxiety. So, what if you could have a great relationship with someone you really care about, but you can't see it because anxiety makes everything taste bad? What do we do? We pray. Take it to God, and then go, go after the opportunity and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Let's pray. Dear God, your word tells us that we should rejoice when we face conflict, that we should be reasonable, and that we should not be anxious, that we should not let anxiety control or consume us as Christians, as the church, as the body of Christ. God, I pray that we would be serious about this, that we wouldn't blow this off as just uh, some interesting idea, but that we would take this to heart and understand that to be a follower of Jesus means to deal with our anxiety. Help us to pray. Help us to go to our knees and say, God, I'm scared because I can't control this. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to honor you. Help us to use whatever tools are available to us to have conversations so that we can work things out, so that we can get to the root of the issue and respond in a way that honors you with 1 Corinthians 13 love, with the fruit of the Spirit. God, I pray that you would be with each and every person here this morning, those listening online, whatever relationship situation they're in. Because all of us probably had something come into our mind conversation we need to have, a situation that we're going through. God, I pray you would send your peace. Help them to embrace the opportunity that that conflict brings. To walk in you. To trust you. To take another step. To not let anxiety consume them. I pray that you would help us to be courageous in sharing our faith. Don't let us be shut down in a world that oftentimes doesn't want to hear about God. Help us to follow you and honor you, even when we feel anxious. In Jesus' name, amen.